Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. This week, with my co-host, Kizzy Joseph, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Vinnie Bagwell is a sculptor who creates three-dimensional and base relief sculpture in bronze and bronze resin. Born in Yonkers, New York, she's an untutored artist who began sculpting in 1993. Vinnie has the rare ability to cross over between illustration, graphic design, painting, and sculpture. Her portraits display immense spirit and authenticity. She has powers of observation and an innate understanding of proportion. Her first commission, the First Lady of Jazz, Ella Fitzgerald, was commissioned by the city of Yonkers in 1996. It's the first sculpture of a contemporary African-American woman to be commissioned by a municipality in the United States. In 2018, a sculpture of Hartford educator Walter Doc Hurley was commissioned by the state of Connecticut and became the first public artwork of a contemporary African-American in Connecticut. A life-size sculpture of music icon Marvin Gaye has also been commissioned for the new Marvin Gaye Recreation Center in Northeast Washington, D.C. In 2020, after 10 years of leading the conception and development of the enslaved Africans rain garden, She'll complete the Urban Heritage Public Art Project for the city of Yonkers to commemorate the legacy of the first enslaved Africans to be released by law in the United States, 64 years before the Emancipation Proclamation. She will also complete and install Sojourner Truth for the walkway over the Hudson in Poughkeepsie, New York. She will begin the creation of Victory, a 15-foot angel to replace the J. Marion Sims statue on Fifth Avenue at 103rd Street for New York City. Vinnie is passionate about her work and takes responsibility for outreach efforts to engage the community. Vinnie, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I've been watching your page. I see that you are really busy right now. Yeah, it's a good time. So I noticed that they, that in your bio, it said that, you know, you, you got into sculpture, you know, that you were an untutored art, artist, and you began sculpting in 1993. 
you had a, a background in the arts, but what took you to sculpting? Okay, so I'm one of those little kids that could draw very well from the beginning. And I started painting when I was, I don't know, I, I think that was like in 10th grade. And again, painting, I paint very well. You know, just I have these ideas, I try them, they work, and, and look what I made. And so uh, I ended up uh, getting through college and uh, came out with a degree in psychology, but I, I always had mentors. Like, for instance, from eighth grade on through high school, I had a mentor, English chair. Uh, through college, I had a mentor, uh, psychology department chair. And senior year, you know, his question was, why aren't you in the art department? It's like, well, you know, I was brought up among a bunch of artists, um, but I was told that I couldn't, couldn't be an artist uh, for work because artists don't make any money. So hmm. I'm thinking that uh, behavior science might be interesting, but long and short, I ended up with a third mentor who was a graphic designer. And um, during the course of working and, and working under his tutelage, um, I didn't realize that somehow my artist got eclipsed. And... Um, I didn't paint for seven years, and when I realized it, it bothered me, so I tried sculpting as a way of what I call priming the well. You know, you, mm-hmm. you try something else just to get a roll going, and of course, you know, sculpture turned out to be a surprise, a really cool surprise. It's fascinating that, you know, often people who are in the arts, their family discourages them, even though they're talented, because they say that you can't make a living. Well, they're, they're, they're intertwinable because, number one, um, I mean, understanding behavior, understanding human nature um, helps me to understand what matters when I'm choosing subjects to, uh, you know, to portray. So I don't, see, I don't see it as putting one thing down and picking up another. I see it as just adding on and maybe branching off. You know, I think mm. that art is uh, extremely uh, uh, behavior-oriented, you know, that most people that make art, most people who make art are doing it because they feel a certain kind of way. Um, they're usually expressing, uh, you know, something about the human condition. I mean, even with abstract art, you know, I think that you're still expressing something that's in you. So I don't, I don't think you can separate them. Um, I think in my particular instance, um, because I cared so much about making the work, um, I look for ways to be able to do it because sculpting is an expensive medium. It's not, not really a good hobby. It's, it's, it's too expensive to be mm-hmm. a hobby. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the big question is how can I do this? And shortly in, I discovered that I needed a lot of money to be able to finish the work that I did that winter. I mean, I made five sculptures in five months. I need $35,000. I wasn't earning $35,000. So imagine if you discover that you got some kind of gift and now you got to double your income, like now, like right now. It's like, how do you do that? And, you know, that was the big question. It's like, how, how am I supposed to, where am I going to get that kind of money from? 
And so this is kind of what compelled me to really look into, you know, grant making and, and, uh, and things like that. I mean, of course, back then we didn't have the Internet. So, you know, I'm living in the library, you know, looking through mm. the yellow pages, you know, calling 411. I don't know how we got anything done back then. But the point of it is, is that in the process of looking, I was looking in the library trying to find information about how to afford being a sculptor. And in that mm -hmm. process, I discovered public art as an option. And, of course, the beauty of public art is that the commission is designed to sustain an artist for the duration of the creation of the work. Well, this is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Again, in that, in that time, it's like, but how do you, how do you get to compete? How do you get to win? How do you get to do that if you don't know how that works? And it was impossible to figure out. So I created my own first public art project. You know, I, I wrote a proposal to the city of Yonkers to do Ella Fitzgerald. That's how I got my first one. I don't know how anybody else got theirs because, honestly, you know, without the Internet, I don't know how anybody finds out anything. Now, you have a strong connection with the city of Yonkers. How did, you choose, how did that come about, and how did you get that first commission? city of Yonkers uh, is a, a good-sized city. You're talking about a city of 200,000-some-odd people. Um, but it, it functions, uh, you know, uh, members of city council and things like that. You know, even though I didn't know how it worked, these people are very visible. Um, in, in Yonkers. They show up at your, at your family's funeral and stuff. They're very, very, um, I'm just going to say involved with their citizens. That's how it's always been. And so, um, you know, I knew certain people from the city, but as time went on, they came to know me because I was a newspaper columnist. I used to write to the local newspaper for Cadet. And so point of it is, is that, you know, I was writing for the paper, I discovered sculpting, you know, I found a group of artists uh, who were looking to create, you know, art uh, in the downtown waterfront district, which at that time was blighted. And, of course, we understood as artists that if they wanted to, you know, create livability in the downtown waterfront district, that they needed to bring culture, and that's what we do. Artists bring culture. You know, we depict culture with, you know, all the mediums. You've got song, dance, music, visual arts. This is all, you know, cultural expressions. And so, um, you know, I got involved with them because they were from my planet and they were interested in me because I was a newspaper. So I started writing grants for them. And, um, of course, you know, we, we won the money, so we started doing programming in the downtown waterfront. So the city of Yonkers became very aware of how the community was responding to our programs. This is Art on Main Street, uh, Yonkers, 1994. And so, you know, we had already been funded by the city for the first year and had done some remarkable things. And so it made it easy for me to come back the second year and propose a public artwork for Ella Fitzgerald because they, they already knew me as an individual. They also knew the organization that I was, you know, a co-founder of. And... Um, and, of course, they know Ella Fitzgerald, so it was a no-brainer. So they said, yes. That's how that happened. Okay. So can you tell us um, more about 
presenting your thoughts on the role of making public art accessible because I, when I think of art, I still find it, um, it to be largely inaccessible, especially to communities, black and brown people. Like, for instance, um, in museums, we see these European artworks that are praised, but um, very much, although now things have changed, it still seems like there's so much work needed to be done about visibility and making art more accessible to black and brown people. So can you speak more about the power of um, public art in that process, in that work? So, first of all, public art is not curatorial art. Curatorial art is where you have an individual person, usually a single person, who comes up with an idea for an exhibition and they select the artist, and they select the artwork, and they select the everything in terms of how they are presenting uh, visual or specific information, since we're talking about visual art. Public art comes from a, a different uh, perspective in that the art is being created for the community. And so at the very beginning of my experience, I was told that, you know, you need to create programming that involves the community. And of course, the, the most obvious thing to me was to go to the arts magnet because they did not have um, sculpture as part of the curriculum. So during the time when I was putting together a proposal for Ella Fitzgerald, I went to Yonkers Public Schools arts magnet to talk to them about the idea of having their students. So. They thought it was a great idea because, again, it is a medium that's not offered in the schools, and, and Yonkers Public Schools are very much into um, exposing their students to um, extracurricular things, you know, that aren't in the school. You know, we believe in on-site learning. So point of it is, is that that made sense to me. So I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And then the other thing was, you know, one of the things that I am really concerned about, and, and I've made this part of my practice from the very beginning, is that I like to invite people into my studio to see me while I'm working because most people don't get to see that part. You know, with, with, with public art, you usually see it after it's installed, you know, and it's finished and ta-da, there it is. But very few people get to see it in progress. And for the artist, that's, that's the best part. Making the art is what matters to us. You know, finishing it is important, but, but what we really are living for is the process of creation. So, you know, I started giving what I call open studios, previews, whatever, just inviting strangers into my studio, um, you know, to look at my artwork and to see, you know, what my environment is like and to give them a sense of how things become. And I think that that helps to build the value for the artwork. And so, um, you know, People walk into my into my space, and there's a life-size woman standing in my living room. I mean, back then I was living in a regular apartment. You know, you walk into my living room, and there's this life-size woman. Oh, wow, and it's Elsie Gerald. You know, that for most people was just stunning. And, of course, now, you know, I've got a much larger studio space, you know, which a lot of people don't get to come into an environment like that because there aren't a lot of environments like that that even exist. You know, so to walk into – 
you know, a, a 15-square-foot room with 18-foot ceilings and giant windows overlooking the river and filled with art about black people. For most people, that is stunning. And, again, it, it lets people know that, number one, we exist, you know, maybe not in great numbers, but black sculptors do exist. Um, we can make a living, and, and, and the work uh, is, is of value. The work matters. You know, uh, when I first started sculpting, the big question was, you know, are you only going to do black people? I'm like, why not? White people only do white people. I don't see them breaking the neck trying to do black people. Who's going to do us? And so that that is kind of how I got to be motivated. And, again, to let, you know, people, young people, people in general know that, no, artists aren't people who make money after they're dead. That's not That's not the only way. I mean, so, I mean, you've done Ella Fitzgerald, then you did uh, Walter Dark Hurley, and now you were just talking about this piece that you're working on for Sojourner Truth. And you've done them in different places. What has been the response and, and how people reached out to you before this period of time that we're in where many people are now realizing that black lives not only do matter but have mattered all along. But what has been the response for sculptures of our community? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole lot that happened between Ella Fitzgerald and Doc Hurley. Um, there's Frederick Douglass at Hofstra. Mm-hmm. There's Frederick Douglass at the uh, Frederick Douglass uh, Museum and Cultural Center in Highland Beach, Maryland. Um, there's Legacies in Memphis, which is a Native American woman that um, also represents Hispanics and African Americans. Um, there's the Enslaved Africans Rain Garden, which is, this is year 11. I've been developing a project uh, to create a, a major sculpture garden of enslaved Africans. I've got an acre of land on the Hudson River that's going to be constructed into a rain garden this fall, and I've been working on those, really, those five pieces for the last 10 years, um, mm-hmm. you know, raising the money to get that done, you know, making people aware of it on social media, uh, you know, developing websites. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, there's, you know, all kinds of, of competitions um, that I haven't won but have been invited to participate in. So there's been a, a plethora of stuff. Um, I think that the biggest, uh, the biggest impact um, has been made by social media. You know, I got on, mm-hmm. on Facebook in 2009, and um, one of the, the most important things that I learned early on is that art is art. Um, here in America, we're, we're probably the, the place that has the most racism uh, in the so-called free world. Um, you know, when I'm talking to somebody in Russia or Japan or Ireland or South Africa, um, they're not referring to me as a black artist. They're not referring to my art as black. They're, they're just looking at it as art about a particular culture. You know, so that was uh, very interesting to know that anybody could relate to my artwork because they're relating to it on a human being level, not on a race uh, or ethnic uh, level. I mean, every culture in the world has art. You know, every, every culture in the world has art. You know, every culture in the, in the world has uh, some version of public art. 
you know, but again, uh, in this country, we, you know, we, we, we've got issues uh, because of racism, and it's, it was just so relieving to know um, that somebody somewhere else could relate to me. You know, I like to think of artists as a race of people and that we're not defined by the normal, you know, boundaries uh, that separate people. We're, we're held together by the fact that, you know, we were kissed by God or somebody and that we're gifted and that we come here to do this and that this is what compels us and motivates us. So when I meet somebody new that's an artist and I tell them I'm an artist, the first thing that we want to know is what do you do? You know, I remember years ago, uh, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire had a song, and there was a stand in it that says, we're from the land of doing, you know, and, and that's, I think, what's remarkable about art in general is that, you know, art is in every culture, and it's always about, you know, the, 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 the beliefs and the, the behavior of that culture. What's nice is when you find people from other cultures caring about African-American culture. We're not the only ones that care about ourselves. It's not just Black Lives Matter to us. Black Lives Matter, period. Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting time. You know, now, I mean, this is, for me, this is the best time um, because I'm old enough to remember, uh, you know, the civil rights era. I mean, I, I met Martin Luther King when I was seven at Messiah Baptist Church. You know, I, I remember reading uh, about Malcolm X at 10, you know, my, my mother had me reading stuff, you know, and then seeing, you know, the news. I mean, we watched Angela Davis and them on the, on the TV and talked about mm-hmm. it in current events, you know, so having grown up through black power and Marvin Gaye and all kinds of, you know, we have people that are, are, are my age and you know, we're in our sixties now, you know, we're going into our sixties or whatever. Point of it is that we have a real sense of, beginning, middle, and now we're wondering how this is going to go because we've seen so much of, of the residual of slavery, the history, and we're just, we're hopeful that, you know, it's like, can, can we see something major happen before we die? You know, we thought Obama was it, and then we get Trump right behind him, and now mm-hmm. we got this, you know. And so the, 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 the question for some of us is, What's the difference now? Some of us are a little glib, a little jaded, like, yeah, I've seen this before. You know, but some of us are still like, no, we haven't quite seen it like this before. This is interesting right here. You know, because every day, I don't know, how long has it been? Like two, three months now? Every day, something else is jumping off that drops your jaw, you know. Uh, over the mm-hmm. weekend, they had a, a mock protest funeral in Maryland, you know, with a procession from Capitol Heights to the daggone White House, 50 hearses, 30, you know, limousines, 20 cars plus an entourage, and, you know, it's like a mock funeral as a protest. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we're getting real creative about this. You know, it's just been interesting. Black Lives Matter signs all over the street in front of Trump Towers in New York City, in front of the White House in the D.C. This is cracking me up because it's like, you know, I'm so happy that the people aren't letting it go. It's like, no, don't yeah. let it go. They wait for us to let it go. It's like, no, don't let it go this time. It's like, mm-hmm. seriously, they keep looking at it and looking at it. As, as uh, Frederick Douglass says, this discussion must go on. Until the American people stop using color as the bar and measure for respectability, this discussion must go on. And I'm happy to see it's going on. I mean, like, every day mm-hmm. or something else. And, it, and it, it, mm-hmm. you know, on some levels, you find yourself laughing 
on other levels, you find your head sick in your head because it shouldn't be all this deep, but this is, here we are. Mm-hmm. I was in, I was in D.C. on Friday. You've got Thomas Jefferson's black and white descendants on CNN talking about take down the yep. Jefferson Memorial. I'm like, well, yep. wait a minute now. I, you know, I, my gut reaction was, wait a minute. Why, 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 why we got to take it down? Why can't we add to the story and balance the narrative? Why can't we do it like mm-hmm. that? But, again, you know, it depends on who's running stuff and, and who decides what's going to get done. But in the final analysis, everybody got their thinking caps on now. That is encouraging. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, what are your thoughts on the role of the artist in society and culture? I know that, you know, there are some with the viewpoint that artists have the right to make art for the sake of their personal expression, and that's it, whereas, you know, some – may say that there's also not only this uh, outlet of personal expression, but also this sense of social responsibility to um, advocate for social justice and bring issues to light through their work. What are your thoughts about that, the role of the artist? Okay, so... Again, you're you're touching on the idea of curatorial versus public art. You know, um, there are there are some of us, and I was there at one point where you know you have this really cool gift, you can do stuff that nobody else can do quite quite, quite like you, um, or if they can, it's because they are like you. But but everybody's not like you, so you have a gift. Obviously, it becomes apparent usually early on. I mean, some people discover their gifts later; it's possible. But a lot of us find our gifts in our youth. And in the beginning, I think for many of us, we just kind of are experiencing it as a, let's just see where my power goes. Let's see what I can do with my power. Let me try this. Let me try that. Particularly for those of us that don't go to school for it. We're just experimenting and trying stuff and, and, and having great success. There are some people that go to school because they know they got something, they want, they want more, or they want to have something and they want more, regardless. In the final analysis, some people only make for themselves. Like originally, when I was painting, I was only making for myself. If, if you were a relative or a friend and I was broke at Christmas time, you might get something for Christmas just because I believe in giving Christmas gifts. Yeah, and there are some folks that are like, I'm so happy I got mine. But the point of it is, is that at some point, if you're black, let me just put it this way, if you're black, at some point, depending on your orientation and how you're raised, at some point, you realize that you're a link in a chain and that you have mm. some responsibility as that link in the chain because you're the connection between the past and the future. And, and usually I think people kind of realize this when they have kids. Like as soon as you have, well, if you're, let's just say you're, you're a relatively mature person having a child, as soon as you realize the responsibility of raising a child, you begin to think about how you were raised, what the merits are for the way you were raised, and then, of course, some things you didn't like, so you don't do that. But, you know, for instance, I was raised by a family who was originally from the South. And, of course, they moved here from the North, and they had certain ideals about growth and education and, and, you know, and and enlarging their family and giving their children, uh, you know, resources and things they didn't have. That's kind of the orientation of, of all sides of my family is like that. You know, people who worked uh, agriculturally, people who worked blue-collar, people who mostly did not go to college but 
maybe develop skills and things like that. Like you got teachers and, you know, pastors and things like that in my family. Be that as it may. The point of it is, is that you grow up with this understanding that if you're black, what you're supposed to be doing ideally is getting educated and trying to help uplift the race. That's the way I was raised. I mean, I was mm-hmm. raised that way by my family, and then I went to a historically black school for four years. They seriously teach you that, that you have a responsibility to give back to your community some kind of how in your own way, through your own devices, be that as it may. So whatever you are, you should be contributing to your community. That, that was just a standard that I was raised by. My mentors uh, put that in me as well. You know, when I first got out of college, you know, I'm learning graphic design. One of the things that we did was we gave discount prices to black companies so they could afford good graphic designs of their brochures and things like that. That was our way of helping the community. I, you know, it was a small way, but it's some way. The point of it is, is that as an artist, if you're going to do art in a public way, the question is, what are you trying to say? Are you only speaking for yourself? Are you speaking for your race? Are you speaking for your family? Who are you speaking for? Are you only speaking for yourself? Some people are only interested in saying what they want to say about whatever they want to say. And, and that's, that's acceptable. That's, that's fair. But some of us take on more responsibility and feel that we have, we have a tool that we can use to voice like a whole community's uh, opinion about mm-hmm. our values. And this is why I think public art is so important because, first of all, you've got the selection committee, you've got the community, everybody kind of weighs in on how they feel about this artist's work and whether or not they feel it has the ability to express the values that they're trying to express. You know, in other words, in my instance, I've created public art commissions, but I've also competed for them. I'm talking about the kind that you compete for. You know, when you're creating your own thing, that's different. But when you're competing for something, you're really fitting somebody else's matrix. And, again, they are expecting you to voice something about their values, what they believe in their community. So, example, I I just won something for Boise, Idaho. It's about an African-American woman who did little things in the community. She's not a big, 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 big deal to anybody else but her community. Little things that mm-hmm. she did that mattered, that enriched the community. And they feel like, you know, we want to exalt her, we want to honor her, we're going to turn her house into a museum, and we're going to, you know, commission an artist to do an artwork that reflects her life because we value her. They called me up last week, the newspaper from Boise called me up and asked me, what do I think this artwork means for Boise? And I'm like, well, oh, it's timely. Number one, you were already doing it. Number two, everybody else is busy taking down, but you're in the middle of putting up. Putting up is what matters now. When you talk about Black Lives Matter, it's nice that they've identified 1,900 public artworks about the Confederacy, and now we've got to make sure they all come down. That's good. But the real question is, where's the money for the new work going up, and what's the new work going to say? What does it mean? What's the value of the new work? That's the part that I find exciting. And, and again, that's the part that, that I'm responsible for and people like me are responsible. Our, our, our next big job is to say something more important and more valuable to the human race mm-hmm. than something that is separatist, something that is biased, 
something that is negative and derogatory and debasing. And, and, and that's not where we're going now. You know, as a as a human race, we're just talking about trying to be more collective, trying to be together, trying to work out. How about living is nice? You know, this is an interesting thing about pandemic. It's like everybody had to get real serious during pandemic because it's like, no, no, no. Bottom line, life and death. Mm-hmm. If you're going to live, it's like, what's the value? And this, this is where artists come in. This summer is going to be a real whip for some of us because we are seriously missing our free programming. I mean, where I live, we had jazz twice a week, and we don't have it, and we're, we're kind of missing that. You know, that brings quality of life on a Friday well, night, know- on a Wednesday evening, you know, it's on a Saturday night. It's like people take art for granted. But art is what helps define culture and defines a community's values. Well, Renny, let's take a quick break, and I want to come back right at that point. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Back here on collections by Michelle Brown. We're talking with Vinny Bagwell, and Vinny, there's a couple of things that I I noticed about. First of all, I want to applaud you where you make that space where young people and other people can come in and see it. But on the same token, you know, and I do performance art, and one of the things that I find, particularly when you look at where the schools are, they're getting rid of arts. You're hearing more and more young people are are about that. You know, let me go make some let let me go make some money. And when you take them, there's that role that art does that tells more about, like you said, that person in your community than that's doing. And I often tell people about having taken from young people to the Dusab Museum, and they were just like sort of blowing it off. And the docent said, look at that. This picture is not just a picture of slavery. It's a picture showing us in community how we survived, how we created, how we are doing. And now we have schools and things saying arts don't matter. Don't tell your story. Don't paint your picture. Don't draw. worry about getting a trade so you can make some money. Social media is really important, and I think that your pictures are amazing where people can go and see that. How do you, what do you feel as the next generation? I hear what you're saying, but there's a new generation that will they pick up that the time and continue to do what you do. I don't do. think you have to worry. I, honestly, I don't think you have to worry. Um, you, you need to understand that artists are born in every generation, that artists are born mm-hmm. every day, just like everybody else. Um, there's a fraction of every generation where there has been artistry. Um, you see it tremendously in the black diaspora. I mean, you look at all the things that are American that we created. We created jazz. 
Jazz, jazz came from slavery. We created jazz. Um, you, you look at, I mean, being an athlete is an art. Everybody's not born with that body. You know, you look at how when, when we were allowed in certain arenas, not just basketball, but golf, soccer, I mean, you name it, okay? When, when we were allowed, you see that there's, there's an artistry that comes through the black diaspora in every, in every generation. There has been genius, uh, and, and the genius has always been artistic. And so, you know, the way that we are born, the way that we feel about being artists, we are compelled. It's not like we want to be this way. This is how we are. We're born this way, like we're born black, like we're born women. And I think that there's a fraction of us that are always going to do what we want to do, whether you teach it to us, whether you expose it to us, it doesn't matter. We're going to be compelled because that's a God thing. That's a God thing, okay? You can't mm-hmm. disobey that directive. You can't. You, you may not start off working at it. I mean, I can't tell you how many artists I've met who are phenomenally talented but haven't figured out how to transition from a J-O-B to eating off their artwork. I meet them regularly now. I mean, regularly. People cry and carry on because they, they think I'm a genius, but a genius can starve as quickly as the next person. I've been there. The point of it is is that, you know, one of the reasons why I bring uh, particularly even little kids, I mean, I, I love the fifth graders. There's a, there's a the Pearl School near me is a school for the gifted and the talented. What, what I want kids to understand is that you can make your own life. You can make whatever you want out of your life. If you love making, I don't know, cupcakes, you can exalt that to an art and, 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 and make a life out of freaking cupcakes. The question is, what do you love the most? It's about your passion. What compels you? What compels you? What can you not live without? And can you turn that energy into something that will generate those little green pieces of paper that they say you have to have to have a quality of life? Again, mm-hmm. it's, all about, it's all about what you think about yourself, you know, what you believe. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that you're fed in childhood, in your youth, and around about the middle years, I don't know, 38, whatever, you know, 40-something, all of a sudden you begin to realize that, whoa, some of this stuff I've been fed isn't really correct, it isn't true, it isn't for me. And then you, you go through what they call the midlife crisis, and now the question is, who am I? Where am I? What the heck? And what am I supposed mm-hmm. to do? And so, you know, at some point, some people say, oh, you know, I'll do that when I retire. I'm like, look, why don't you just <laughs> retire this year and figure out how to make the transition this year? Because there's something called Godspeed. Godspeed Amen. is real. You know, it's like you, you might think it'd take a year and a century, and, and God can make it happen like next week in ways that you never even imagined. This is the fun thing about the future. You know, just because something doesn't exist right now, today, doesn't mean it can't exist like this afternoon or tomorrow because the little wheels are turning, and you never know what's going on behind the scenes for you that's for you. You know, you get surprised every now and then. People call you up and say, oh, yes, we've been talking about you, and we were wondering if you were interested in doing X, Y, Z. Like, look at that. Something that Mm -hmm. was totally outside of my imagination is in process for me, without me, but with me. And then finally you get to know that, you know, this is what's been brewing for you. That's called, for me, that's called hope. It's like keep hope alive. Because (laughs) if you're supposed to be something, if you're supposed to do something, God and, and the angels and whoever runs this joint, they're working on that. You just have to live, eat every day, 
question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? And right through here, it's really scary because we, we don't really know what to believe now. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, life has gotten so strange. We honestly don't know what to believe. You know, you've got, well, you know, you've got the, the, the president of the United States. He's one thing. Then you've got the government. <laughs> that's another thing. Then you've got the personal mm-hmm. reality. That's another thing. And the question is, how am I supposed to live? With these circumstances, you know, it's, this is black people issue right now, but it really is everybody's issue. And we've seen it because in the last couple of years, oh, my goodness, when they decide to attack the Mexicans and send them back, black people sat back mm-hmm. and said, been there, done that. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. of course, they started taking away rights from women in the middle of the states. You know, I'm saying to the women of Kentucky last year in competition, if you all think that the white patriarch won't get you, oh, man. Just ask the folks in Georgia, Arkansas, and Wisconsin what's going on with them. You know, so right in through here, the big question is, how can how can anybody breathe? How can anybody breathe? And the final analysis, you, you everybody got to find their own way. If you're an artist, this is the part where we have to dig deeper and become more creative, and that's what we do best. So stay tuned because folks are coming up with brighter ideas about how to get through this part. And, of course, some things that we – have gotten used to are never coming back. And the mm-hmm. question is, well, what do we do about that? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very a, interesting and creative period for everybody. So it's sort of like it has challenged us. Like you said, some of this stuff isn't going to come back. So it's like you can't go in and depend on the regular things. So it's sort of like, well, what do I have? What's in my gut? What's in my heart and soul that I can pursue and live? Leaps of faith. Leaps of faith. It's like, what do you believe about yourself? This is the first question. What do you believe about yourself? Do you think you're random? Do you think that it's random that we're having this conversation? Do you think all this is random? Do you really? It's like, no, come on. It's all by design. Talk about it's like God is an artist. It's his favorite thing, creating stuff. Got 27 million different shades of pink. Seriously, it's like, you know, when you look at, I mean, really, when you look at, I'll just say the earth and the stuff here, it's like, so let's just say somebody created all of this. Why wouldn't he create a kajillion different kinds of people just like he created a kajillion different kinds of everything else? Mm-hmm. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Why, why wouldn't a creative being do that? And why would, why would it make it be competitive? That's not how God is. That's religion and dogma. So, you know, for a lot of people, the question is, what, what part do you believe that you were taught? I mean, like most black people, I was raised in church. I mean, I've got the whole Baptist upbringing thing. I do, until I was like 14, 15 years old. But at some point, the question is, do you believe everything you were taught? And if you don't, what do you believe? And ultimately, it comes down to what you believe about yourself. Do you think that if you're gifted, you think the gift was random? You think the gift is for nothing? What do you think that's about? And the ultimate question is, what are you going to do with it? What do you want to do with it? You know, for most of us, we just want to do it, period. That's, that's what we want. We want to be able to do it. The question is, how do you get to be an artist and eat every day and pay your bills and raise your kids and all the other stuff that goes with living? How do you get to do that? Everybody has to find their own way. I found public art. And, again, it's an ongoing adventure because 
There's no security. Security is not a real thing. It's an idea, a nice idea, but not really real. The question is, how do you create security for yourself? You know, even if you have a so-called job, it's like, how do you secure that? You know, ultimately, you got to hustle. That's what there's to it. Mm-hmm. So I've seen the pictures of the progress so far in your Sojourner Truth sculpture, and I'm completely today? blown away. Yes. yes did you I see did. her today? I'm, I'm, yeah, I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm she like just came so out. Just the bronze just came out. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like yeah, having it's a baby. Absolutely. It's like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like absolutely yeah, this is the happy part. I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And there's so much detail in this sculpture, not only the Sojourner one, but, you know, in all of your sculptures. Can you, um, what is your weaving process in conveying the stories of your sculptures? Like, is there a research element? Um, can you tell us more about that, creating the stories behind the sculptures? Well, if, if you know me, I am a, a storyteller. I love telling stories. Um, and I, I particularly like stories that are grounded in the truth. Um, I've, I've always had a, a, a fascination for why do people lie? You know, when the truth is so interesting, mm-hmm. why do they lie? At any rate, um, in the process of making art, sometimes in the beginning, um, I did that to extend the process before I actually finish because the problem is is that I I can make art very quickly. I can't afford it as quickly as I can make it. And so uh, in the beginning, the question was, what else can I, what else can I say? What else can I do, you know, um, to say more? And again, the idea is to say things that are meaningful. So, for instance, I think the first time that I tried using bas-relief was Frederick Douglass. I've got Frederick Douglass sitting in an antique chair, um, and he's sitting in the round. So he's sitting on a round pedestal in the middle of of space on a college campus, which means you could approach him from any angle. And the back of the chair is blank. And like a clean sheet of paper, it's like you could say something there. What do you want to say? And the question mm-hmm. is, what's the most important thing to say? Well, again, this is where research comes in. And, you know, again, I, I, I research in the course of writing and things like that. I like reading and learning new things. And so one of the things that I learned was that uh, Joshua Wedgwood, uh, who was known for his china, uh, had created a, a coin the week before Frederick Douglass escaped slavery. And he gave 200 of these coins to, you know, notable Americans, Benjamin Franklin, among others. Um, And the coin basically was that image of an enslaved man shackled on his knees, and there's a ribbon that runs below it that says, am I not a man and a brother? And, of course, you know, that's that's a big question because white supremacists, racists, whatever, are from the beginning of time when they decide they needed free labor, uh, suggested that black people aren't human. We're not 100% human. And, of course, stupid people believe that. (laughs) Point Mm -hmm. of it is, is that that's a question to ask because 
we're still suffering from racism. And so being that that sculpture was designed originally, even though it was originally designed for the northwest corner of Central Park, it ended up on a college campus where you are grooming young people for the world. And I'm like, and this is what, it was part of my argument for my uh, competition narrative. It's like, what better place to teach pluralism than on a college university campus? You have an opportunity to teach kids how to be correct with their thinking. Let Fred do it for you. You know, uh, I think mm-hmm. the second time that I tried it was for Memphis. And in that instance, the, the reasoning, again, was different from the standpoint of, you know, their budget was limited. You know, what they wanted for their school was huge. And I'm like, you don't really have enough money for all that. I mean, I didn't think they had enough money for Frederick Douglass either. But, again, this is the joy of being a creative. You know, you come up with creative ideas to try to maximize, I'll just say, the, 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 the bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. You know, in both instances, they got, a lot of, they got a lot of bang for the buck. And so same thing when I did the rain garden sculptures. There are five of them. Each one of them are, are charged with, you know, trying to convey different aspects of slavery. So you've got, you know, you've got the Phillips family who was in the slave trade build, business for 10 years in the late 1600s. They're bringing over kids, youth from Madagascar. You know, most people don't even think of New York as being uh, a slave state. New York was financing slavery. And again, mm-hmm. these are the first enslaved Africans to bring and brought to America, to New York, no less. Pneumonia. They weren't originally designed to come to New York. They were supposed to be going to Barbados to help uh, work the sugarcane uh, um, plantation that they had there. But these people came over and farmed because the middle passage was no joke. So they ended up bringing them to the manor and the mill in, in New York. But still, this is 1685. We're talking about a lot of youth, really young people. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't look at slavery quite like that. And it's like, no, that's important to, 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 to know. Imagine 2020, and somebody comes from the other side of the world and decides they're going to steal your kids. You know, you got a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, or an 8-year-old, and they're going to just steal your kids. You're not going to see them anymore, and they're going to take them to the other side of the world, and you're going to make them work. How do you feel about that? I mean, you know, when I said that to a, a fifth grader or even a high school student, the, the gut reaction on their faces, Christ was like, oh, heck no. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's the idea of, of making people understand the story, the, the, not just the big story, but the little bottom line, like this is the individual's experience. You've got two kids sitting on a rock. No, they're not happy. No, that's not young love. Are you kidding me? Look at their faces. You know, she wants to know, are we going home ever? And he wants to know, did they beat you last night? I mean, this is the conversation. You know, and then you've got a beautiful woman. She's gorgeous and everything, but she's a slave. So what does the beauty mean? What's the value of being beautiful when, when being beautiful could be a curse for someone to attack your physical body? You know, these are things to make people think about. This, is, this was not right, okay? And for the people who have, you know, negative things to say about black people and our culture and how we can be, depending on the demographic and things like that, it's like, yeah, but 
Understand where this came from. We weren't. We didn't wake up like this. How how African Americans are is a residual, a serious residual of slavery, and mm-hmm. racism, and segregation, and Jim Crow, and 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 the craziness that we're going on now with police brutality. We got reasons. And again. People have a way of glazing over things like that because if it's not happening to them or their family, it's easy for them to forget the details. It's like, no, that's where the details come in. These are reminders. It's like, let me tell you what this story is really all about. I don't have to do it in 2,700 words in a book or a movie. You could just do it in a simple illustration. You know what I mean. And if you don't, mm-hmm. Google. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In some of your, your public art, do you go to the place first, and does that sort of the place? Or, I was looking at Memphis Rev, and that's perfect where it is. It's standing on the, the rocks by the trees, and the same with the Frederick Douglass. Does that, when you go and you see the space where they're saying, we want this public art here, does that influence how you are going to sculpt? Absolutely. You know, that's like saying, I mean, look around your house. Try your living room for starters. It's like, you know, what what sofa you decide to put as the focal point. I assume that usually the sofa is one of the major focal points, but maybe you have a piano in there, or maybe you have a really amazing rug, or you've got some kind of focal point. All, all of that, although it's somewhat intuitive, all of that is on purpose. You know what I'm saying? The colors that you choose, mm-hmm. how you put the furniture in the room, whatever the case may be. Like, you come to my house, the bed is in the room, cat a corner, on purpose, okay? There's a certain effect I want. I like angles, okay? Again, the question is, what what matters? And so it is important to go to the site. Whether you choose to integrate or not is, is a personal approach. I like to integrate. I like my artwork to look like it belongs there, that it's not plot mm-hmm. art, like something just got plopped there and, oh, well, there it is. Mm-hmm. I don't like that effect. So for me, mm-hmm. the question is, you know, how do I work? Like, for instance, for Sojourner Truth, this sculpture sits at the bottom of an of a, of a incline. And I was like, ooh, can I landscape that? And they're like, if you got the money. I was like, I got, I got some money left over for landscaping. So we landscaped uh-huh. the hill, you know. And, of course, when we mm-hmm. put it in, it's like, look how that transforms the hill, which creates this really, really beautiful lushness behind her. Look at that. You know, and, again, Artists live in the future. We have imaginations. We see stuff in our minds. It's called vision. Some people don't have that. They can't imagine. They can only see what is. Most artists are not concerned about what is. We're concerned about what could be. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's important to literally walk the space because seeing a photograph is not enough. Like most times, like being in the space, you can feel it. You know, all spaces Mm -hmm. have a feeling to them. You know, whatever kind of of, of, – Amenities are there. Like, for instance, I'm in the middle of designing uh, a plaza for uh, Milwaukee. I did a sculpture for them, and so I'm like, are we going to install it or what? And they've decided, because I said to them, because originally they were going to put it on some balcony in the building. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a sculpture of a black man, and the building is named after him. He should be outside, somewhere near the name on the building, like on the front of the building, duh. And so... They got to thinking about it, and then, of course, they were like, well, wait a minute, we don't know how it got to be assigned there. I said, so they asked me, do you have an idea where it can go? And I'm like, there's a couple of places where it can go. So 
they ultimately decided where they wanted to go, but right now it's just all asphalt. And so I said to them, that's sterile. All asphalt, all hardscape is sterile. It's like you need to break all that up and add trees, plants, mm-hmm. color, height, mm-hmm. texture. You, you need that. It, it, it calms the eye. <laughs> you know, it's like these are all mm-hmm. intuitive things. Like it calms the eye. It's like, you know, when you go into New York City and you walk the high line, and the, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you come to New York City, you've got to do it. Walk the high line. The high line was a railroad track originally, and they turned it into a pedestrian walkway that goes a number of blocks, and it's landscaped. And so there you are walking in the middle of the air through the so-called cement canyons of New York City, but you have all this greenery, and it's calming. It's like you need you need greenery, you know. So I, I advocate for landscaping, and I know how, you know, municipalities and folks like that feel about amenities. They don't want to have to spend a whole lot of money on maintenance, you know, so the idea is to make something that is self-sustaining, that God can take care of with the rain. You know, you don't have to irrigate and do all this extra stuff, whatever. It just kind of works itself like the rest of the planet. And, again, people begin to appreciate, like, that's a good idea. It's like, yes, it's a good idea. It makes people care more about the space, it makes them want to be in the space. You know, it doesn't feel, the word is sterile, cold, you know. Mm-hmm. And so these are things to think about when you go to see a space. You know, how does a sculpture work at the scale of the building? Example, Ella was originally in front of what we call the trolley barn. The trolley barn is a three-story building. Mind you, they got 18-foot ceilings, so it's like a six-story building. She got dwarfed mm-hmm. in that space because people kept saying, I didn't see it. It's like it's right by the train trestle. Where? To the left of the train vessel? I didn't see it. It's like, okay. So at some point, the city realized this is not the best place for this artwork. Let's move it across the street in front of the train station, which has a, 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 a low arcade, and we can give her our own room and surround her with cherry trees that will blossom pink, and, and, and she'll have like her own little plaza, and it works. When they called me with the suggestion, I'm like, bet. Works for me. But at the time that mm-hmm. I installed the sculpture, it, the area was blighted. Wasn't nobody doing nothing. The trolley barn was still boarded up after being closed for like 40 years, for real. So, again, this is the joy of sometimes working with communities when they're brand new because you can make the decisions, well, before any decisions are firm. But the idea is not to treat public art like a brooch on a dress. See, this is the concern. Some folks look at it like, oh, we can live without it. It's like, no, 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 no. Public art is not a brooch on a dress. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's to be integrated into the design during the time when the architects are doing whatever they're doing to the building or the landscaping. This should be this communication that happens from the beginning. You don't build everything and then say, oh, let's add some art. That's, that's not ideal. No. Mm-hmm. 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 So this is, this is a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. 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 And speaking of space, uh, last year you were commissioned uh, by New York City to replace the statue of J. Marion Sims in Central Park. What does it mean to be able to reclaim that space with the sculpture that you're in the process of um, building and placing there? Well, there's a concern. Um, the community worked for 
more than 10 years to get that sculpture removed. It's amazing. It took them 10 years to achieve, literally, removing a sculpture from their community. Um, wow. J. Marion Sims uh, has been duped as the father of uh, gynecology. You know, um, Certainly he made a number of inroads that help women. Um, but he did it on the backs of enslaved African women, and oftentimes he did it against their will and um, did it without anesthesia or painkillers and then turned around and went to Europe and, and, and did it on white women with painkillers and anesthesia. And he's got his explanations and reasons, but he don't really cut it. point of it is is that 10 years later, an artwork is selected, and, and now we have pandemic, and uh, New York City has suspended all public art, and this is a concern. Um, at the moment, we're waiting for the capital budget to pass because that will tell us um, if indeed it is still budgeted, uh, you know, through the New York the City of New York. So, you know, it's 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 tenuous. Um, yes, um, but you know, the membership. get my card. Okay. So, point of it is, is that. Um, I'm concerned because the, the artwork is so important. It is, uh, it's timely, it's topical. Uh, Victory, for those folks that aren't familiar with it, Victory is a, uh, a kind of angel. Uh, God delegates. There are seven different choirs of angels, and Victories are the ones that help the spirits that come to the physical plane to go back to the light. That's, that's the idea of a Victory. And so when I first started looking into uh, concepts, you know, one of the reasons why I settled on an angel was because the Museum of New York is across the street. And then I got to thinking about the hospital that's also across the street. And I'm thinking people go to the hospital um, for their health pretty much. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's usually not life and death, but it could be uh, life and death. And so, you know, these themes are what kind of made me settle on the idea of an angel. Point of it is, is that um, when I started researching angels, I discovered that you can't find them on Google if you're looking for public art, black angels. I, I haven't come across any. If somebody sees one, please uh, email at me or inbox me or something or other. But they, you don't see them. And so um, I resolved to use that as my design concept. And, of course, I had a whole psychology behind it. And the community embraced it, and so much so that when another artist was selected, um, they basically rioted about it for quite some time. And, um, and so now, you know, the concern is that we finish what we started. You know, New York City um, was really on a wonderful and amazing path. I mean, uh, Lady Charlene McRae and uh, Bill de Blasio had put up $10 million uh, to do public artwork to people the five boroughs with public art about black women. You know, Shirley Chisholm was supposed to be in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, Billie Holiday was scheduled for Queens. And, you know, there were several others that were you know, in line. There's at least eight of them uh, that were supposed oh, wow. to be done in the next two to four years. And, and now everything's on hold. And this is a concern because New York City was leading the charge on public art about people of color. And because of the devastation of pandemic, I mean, we got slapped around for real, though, you know, because of devastation of a pandemic and, and then, of course, add looting, even though those people have insurance, point of it is that New York City is in 
survival mode. We're in the process of trying to get back to a standing position, and I understand that, and I accept that, and I respect that. Um, but I'm really very hopeful that the public art does not suffer because of these challenges. That's that's my stance on that. You know, I think it's absolutely imperative that victory become a reality. You know, she was uh, designed to go on Fifth Avenue at 103, and um, I think that something, you know, has to happen, well, as soon as possible. Um, because, again, the community is waiting. The community is vigilant. This community is not going to forget and lay down and let it not happen. Well, Lenny, um, we're going to take another quick break. Then I want you to uh, tell us about the enslaved Africans rain garden and update us on where you are with Sojourners. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here with Vinny Bagwell. Vinny, first of all, I want to tell you, I think that the, the detail in Sojourner, I think she's beautiful. I mean, the skirt, I mean, it's just amazing. The one with her face, that's just, like, amazing. Where are you mm-hmm. as far as installation of Sojourner? And then could you tell us about the journey? I mean, this has been a 10-year journey for the enslaved Africans' rain garden. Okay, so Sojourner Truth um, is funded by New York State Parks, Recreation, and Historical Preservation. Um, Governor Cuomo uh, is committed to peopling state parks with public artworks uh, about people of color, and this is the first one. So that's that's what's important about the Sojourner Truth uh, Public Art Commission. Um, it is going to the walkway over the Hudson, which is the longest pedestrian bridge in the world. Um, originally, it was a railroad uh, bridge, and they decided to um, revitalize it and turn it into a pedestrian bridge. People walk it, like, year-round, the middle of winter and everything. It goes across the Hudson River. It's a mile long. And uh, they built a welcome center on the New York side. Um, and... Sojourner Truth is at the mouth of this bridge. Uh, the, the bronze is cast. Uh, I just put pictures up earlier this morning. It's my first mm-hmm. time seeing it as well. I'm delighted. Uh, it's really, it's like having a baby when it first comes out. I was like, there it is. Like, she looks really good. I'm really happy. You know, again, uh, when it comes out of the casement, uh, there's a lot going on. It's like got holes in it. It's cut up in pieces. You know, by the time I actually see it, 
Um, it will look very different than that. It will be reassembled. It will, seems, will be seamless. It will be whole. Um, and at that point, what I'll be doing is looking for flaws, like fix this, what's that right there, I don't like this, can you do this, can you do that, whatever. And then they refine it, come back, look at it again, say, okay, it's great, I love you, you guys are, are geniuses, you know, and then we patina it. So ultimately, she will be black like the rest of my works. Um, I found a boulder. She's going to be standing on a really beautiful uh, limestone boulder that glitters in the sun. Uh, found it at a mm. quarry up in Kingston, New York. Um, and so at this point, um, we are anticipating her being installed probably um, sometime between the first and second week of August. And, you know, the state is uh, deciding about what they want to do for dedication and programming. I think they're going to have, you know, a, a week-long uh, list of things that you can do virtually, um, you know, because, you know, they're very mindful about, you know, uh, social distancing. We're serious about that in New York for real, though. And so, um, you know, we're trying to figure out how to manage dedication because people are literally going to want to come and see it. And the question is, you know, what can we do on the unveiling day because the, the space is not really big enough for a couple of thousand people. It's not. You know, so uh, they still haven't figured out exactly what the programming is. Uh, you know, we're still kind of batting that around and I'm letting them handle that. So, you know, when they tell me what's official, then, of course, I'll announce it officially on social media. But um, mm -hmm. I'm excited about her. It's always exciting to see these things be finished. Um, you know, at this point, I will have been working on her for more than 18 months. And, uh, and I'm excited about her, very excited about her. One of the joys of, um, of creating this artwork is that I became friends with her family. Uh, you mm. know, she's got a, a whole crew uh, coming out of Michigan. And um, evidently she, she has an 85-year-old, uh, and mind you, her, her family is littered with artists, which is stunning. Uh, she's got an 85-year-old uh, fifth-generation grandson who evidently friended me on Facebook and had been watching me for years. Then he turns uh, one of his younger cousins on to me who's like in his 40s, you know, who's a sixth generation, and that man reaches out to me last September and wants to know, can he come over? I'm like, you, wow. you want to come over? He's like, yeah. I'm mm -hmm. like, sure. When do you want to come over? He's like, like this weekend. I'm like, where, where are you coming from? He's like, Michigan. I said, you already booked your flight? He's like, no. I said, you don't want to wait and get a better flight? No, I want to come right now. I'm like, I'm just starting. He's like, I want to see it, like, now. I'm like, okay, come on. And so um, Corey, Corey McQuichie, uh came and visited, and uh, it was awesome to me because it never dawned on me that I would meet her family at all, you know. Um, mm -hmm. It just never crossed my mind. And so um, – you know, because we're artists, we, we bonded on, on that, and he's really, he's really a very fine painter. And, um, and then he tells me that um, Malcolm X's family is married into her family, the Littles. Mm -hmm. And as you may recall, Malcolm X's original name is Little. The Littles live mm -hmm. in Michigan, too, and, mm -hmm. and they're related to Sojourner Truth. I'm like, that's so deep. Wow. That's, that's just so mm -hmm. deep. So, you know, I volunteered to give him a party. I said, well, let me finish, and I'll give you a party. So I did. So in January, you know, I had a party for basically the state of New York, you know, so I invited all the politicians from the state and from the county and from the city, you know, just because, you know, it's, it's the Genesis family. I'm not trying to rent the world. But, you know, we had a really great party. 
And, um, you know, there was a moment because I asked them, you know, do you, you guys want to stay at my house? you want to stay at the hotel? I mean, I got room. So, of course, they, they volunteered to stay at my house. And so at some point, I'm on my way to bed, and I'm, I see him laying on an air bed at the foot of the sculpture, you know, the lights alone. I'm like, let me make that picture for you. It's not for me. I'm not going to mm-hmm. I don't want it for social media. I want, I want you to have it for you, you know, when you have kids and grandkids and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's me sleeping on the artist's floor, you know, at the foot of the sculpture, you know. So we made the picture, and he's like, that's a cool shot. And I'm like, it's just one of those Kodak moments that really you just can't even fathom. So at this mm-hmm. point, you know, the, the family is coming back, you know, uh, you know, the whole family en masse, whoever's going to fly, is coming back, you know, for the dedication. So that's exciting. That's, that's news. It's, it's exciting. And I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Um, well, you know, for the during, Rain Garden um, Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is a, a Sojourner in Truth monument in Battle Creek, Michigan. Although, unlike yours, yes. I mean, it is like larger than life and often during Black History Month, we've done things where we've talked about her history here in Michigan and people going to see mm-hmm. that monument. But I think that yours is so much more. I mean, her this one is, like, huge. It's larger than life. I love right. yours. You know, I think it. But there is that Michigan connection. So now we yes. can go on to, yes. to, to, that, to the range. Yes, yes. So, so that's. You know, that's interesting. Um, also, too, uh, the, the media got a big uh, kick out of it because, you know, they, too, were surprised, like, oh, my God, one of her descendants is here. Like, if you hurry up, you mm-hmm. come talk to him, you know. And mm-hmm. so point of it is is that, um, you know, the, before I go on to the Rain Garden Project, the hilarity of it is that the day after the, the party, I get a phone call from somebody who says, Harriet Tubman's niece is mad that you didn't invite her to the party. I'm like, <laughs> Well, wait a minute now. Harriet Tubman's niece, I don't know Harriet. Well, she's evidently a Facebook friend of yours as well. I'm like, but she didn't tell me that. So, so I'm like, well, ask her if she want to come over and have lunch. So lo and behold, you know, here comes Harriet Tubman's, you know, seventh-generation niece going to show up, you know, and, and she wanted to meet, you know, she wanted to meet Sojourner Truth's family. And I'm just like, oh, this is just so deep. I mean, this is really so really, really deep. You know, and so, uh, and of course, then pandemic came and we weren't able to, to work that out. But point of it is, is that, you know, I'm trying to explain to them how important it is to the rest of us that we know they exist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you don't even think of them as existing. I mean, when you think of the, of the black icons in history, it's like, okay, so you know Martin Luther King's kids, and you might even know his grandkids, but you don't know his nieces and his nephews. You know, you, you might know Malcolm X's kids, but, again, you all know all the grandkids and the cousins, you know, and so this is fascinating, you know, to meet them. And I'm saying to them, people want to know you. You know, you make, you make the lessons real. You know, it, you're, they're in you. You have their genes. That's an amazing thing. Well, as for the Rain Garden Project, um, the fifth sculpture is uh, – in the wax, I'm going to inspect it on Thursday. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it looks good in the photograph, but it's, it's always important to go and actually see oh. these things in real life. Uh, so I'm going to the foundry to see how the wax looks, and I'll refine it if there's anything that I feel like I want to do to it. 
and uh, and then ultimately it will be cast, and then uh, that will be the last one. Uh, right now, the city of Yonkers and the county of Westchester, who is paying for the construction, uh, right now they are uh, identifying the particulars for the bid. There'll be a a bid that goes out for construction because there's a there's a faux creek that runs through it. You know, there's a lot of landscaping. Um, there's a lot of well, different moving parts to um, that design. And again, very excited, very very much like having quintuplets. It's like, oh my goodness, last <laughs> baby's about to be done, and uh, and we're getting ready to take them home. Uh, so at this point, and again, working with uh, you know municipal government um, is challenging to the patients because um, they have their own sense of timing. And um, and sometimes it's hard to understand or appreciate uh, their timing. Uh, but you know, all I can say is that I'm grateful that they're moving forward. Uh, the County of Westchester, uh, George Latimer, God bless his heart, is adamant, you know, that he wants this completed. Um, we were disappointed that we were not able to finish it in 2019 because that was the, you know, the 400th anniversary of slavery uh, in. Uh, well, coming to uh, Jamestown, but the point of it is, is that um, this year is even more important because you know we have become so much more aware of uh, the need for public art about Black history because of the Black Lives Matter, you know, and and because of the things that are going on with police brutality, it has elevated uh, the the meaning of having public art that celebrates Black culture. So. The Rain Garden Project uh, has been coming all this time. I've done a, a plethora of programs. You know, I had um, Ty Grayell, who is a spoken word artist, create narratives for these people. If you go on YouTube, you can see, I think I have at least two of them up with, you know, like a visual video, so you get to learn who are these people. Um, again, we took the idea of storytelling and just kind of, told stories based on the facts that we know to flesh out who these people may have been. Again, the sculptures are not of anybody in particular, um, but still we individualize them. I gave them names, uh, and again, we gave them stories so that people can think of them as human beings, um, not even simply sculpture or simply as the slaves, but no, these were individual people that had lives before they were enslaved, mm -hmm. and, and they had to make serious, serious emotional adjustments, you know, throughout the process of being enslaved and then ultimately being resolved to being a slave, you know. And so we want people to understand the gravity uh, of what, what slavery has meant uh, to black people in general um, and, and to try to relate to people on a human level, like this is what it means. This is what we think. This is how we feel. And how would you be if it happened to you? You know, that sort of thing. And so... um. You know, we're going to, uh, you know, create an app, you know, so that people can access, you know, some of the information, you know, of the process of creating and, you know, to be able to access, you know, uh, real information about the history of slavery and John Jay, you know, who wrote uh, the first law mm -hmm. to try to manumit uh, slavery. You know, it's funny because the, the, yeah, the people from uh, John Jay University came, you know, professors came, uh, one of the things that John Jay, one of the things that John Jay University does is that they have um, their professors work pro bono uh, to learn about slavery. 
you know, they're in the process of creating, uh, I'll just simply say, a pool of documentation about, uh, you know, enslaved Africans in New York, and the professors have to contribute to that as part of their tenure, you know, working at that university. So the point of it is they come to see me, and they have a comprehensive list of all the enslaved Africans and slaves uh, in one repository document. You know, so if you're interested, you know, you can find out information. So we're wanting uh, the enslaved Africans rain garden and the app to, uh, you know, be a place where people can come and get more information if they want to know about slavery in New York. Mm. Wow, that's great. Um, well, Vinny, I mean, I am so looking forward to seeing the Sojourner Truth once it's, it's, it's installed. I hope to be back in New York this fall. And I mean, oh good. It's just yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's interesting because that's one of the things that that struck, struck me about it when I saw that you were doing it, having talked to people in Battle Creek, and many people not knowing, like you said, there's a whole history of her descendants in Western Michigan, and many people even from yeah. here don't recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. think that the work, you know, and I think that your public art. Is just going to help us know more about ourselves. If we don't know, you know, you don't know what you can be if you don't know what you've been. And right. thank God for social media, you know. But, um, Kizzy, did you have anything else? Um, no, but I just want to say that your work is such a beautiful capture of the multiplicity of black life from, you know, our, our struggles to our uh, work towards freedom, liberation. It's just, again, such an amazing um, ode to, you know, the journey of black people, specifically in America. So, again, your work is amazing, and I look forward well, to you. seeing it being in the city. Thank you. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff coming uh, down the pike. I'm very excited about um, you know, things for you to look for. Um, Latif Calloway is doing a documentary on uh, Sojourner Truth. As a matter of fact, he was in Michigan last week. Um, he was in Michigan last week uh, interviewing folks, so that might be somebody interesting for you to interview. Um, okay. Uh, then also, too, I am, as I said, I'm doing something for Boise. I'm doing something for Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, you know, in Norfolk, Virginia, all of the uh, all of the black, um, how should we say, um, everything black in Norfolk has been either decimated or removed. There's, there's no destinations or icons in Norfolk. So uh, the city of Norfolk is building a new library, and they're naming it after the first black principal for the first black school in in Norfolk. So that's Richard A. Tucker. So I'm going to be creating a sculpture of him this year. Um, we're in the process of finishing up the agreement for that. Um, and then there's some other stuff just in general that's coming down the pipe that's exciting. Like, for instance, there's a new African burial ground uh, project in Philadelphia, uh, you know, yeah. waiting for them to announce finals. Um, Maya Angelou yeah. is still coming for 
uh, you know, San Francisco. I'm one of 19 <laughs> on the so-called shortlist, um, you know, for public art for San Francisco. So there's a bunch of stuff. You know, I still see calls coming out um, about black history and about black uh, culture. Um, that's exciting, you know. So I think that as time goes on, we're going to see more and more and more, um, you know, public art commissions uh surface, and I think that it's important that we tell our own stories. So, you know, whenever I meet anybody that has uh, any measure of talent, you know, I try to say to them, you know, imagine if you were to get into the public art arena. It's like, you know, we are needed um, in that arena. It is a white, patriarch-run arena. There aren't many women at all. Um, there are very few blacks, and there, there are very, very, very few black women. You know, so uh, it's an arena um, – that is not easy to get into, but it can be done. And, and so, you know, I, I just encourage uh, people who want to work as an artist to think about art in public places as an outlet for, you know, their work. You know, a lot of times you can take your skill and you can transition it into something else that, you know, works. So, you know, again, uh, you know, painting doesn't mean that you only have to do it on canvas. I mean, you mm -hmm. could do it on a billboard. I mean, you could do, you know, same thing with sculpting. It's like, you know, you could do large work. It's, you know, it's something that you might have to learn on the job as you do it if somebody gives you a shot. And there, there are people that will give you a shot if they like your work well enough. And so, um, you know, that's, that's my parting comment that, um, you know, you can make your life be whatever you want your life to be if you want your life to be something. The question is, what do you, what do you want and what do you believe? You know, if you believe mm -hmm. that you can transition uh, the gap between where you are versus where you want to be, you know, then you will. You know, the question is, how long is it going to take? You know, if, if you were talking to me in the 90s, back in those days, I was like, God, how old do I have to be? Well, now I know. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it was going to take a while. You know, and again, I just kept struggling through it and just said, no, this is where I want to go. You know, I'm, I, I, I'll live under a bridge if I have to, you know, and seriously, now I'm just like, no, I, I'm, I'm not random. I'm here on purpose, and I intend to fulfill my purpose, and, and I love telling the people, like, if there's a heaven, I swear to God, I'm going to the gate high-fiving anybody who's there because <laughs> this is not an easy trip. Seriously, it's, yeah. you know, life is not an easy trip. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that snaps you awake at night and makes you wonder and worry and, you know, you're concerned and, you know, life and death and all kinds of craziness. But in the final analysis, if you're alive, you got a shot, take a shot. That's true. That's true. Well, Vinny, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with us. I'm going to continue to follow you on social media. I hope to be in touch with you as we go on. And hopefully come August, maybe we can get together and talk. But, Thank you. Oh, for please. Call me when you get ready to come this way. I'll look for you. All right. Definitely. Well, you enjoy the rest Thank of you. the afternoon. And I'm going to be yeah. watching to Thank see you. the finished part of Sojourner. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank, thank you for caring. Have a good day. We want to thank our guest, sculptor Vinny Bagwell. Vinny is one of only a handful of African-American women sculptors creating public art across the country. In 2020, she'll complete the Urban Heritage Public Art Project for the city of Yonkers, New York, Enslaved Africans Rain Garden. 
and shall also complete and install Sojourner Truth for the walkway over the Hudson in Poughkeepsie, New York. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on Google Play Music, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.